You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Siobhan Fallon is the author of You Know When the Men Are Gone, a collection of short stories. Thank you for joining me, Siobhan. Thank you for having me, Rick. Tonight we saw an adaptation by the Word for Word Theater of The Last Stand and Gold Star, directed by Amy Casso. Amy, thank you for joining us. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. Featured in both stories were Chad Deverman. <laughs> That's <Murray>. right. <laughs> and... Arwen Anderson, she played Josie and played in the ensemble. Thank you for joining me, all of you. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. This is such an interesting concept of reading short stories and performing them. Amy, I'd like you to talk about the intricate staging that really makes these stories work and bring, deciding who to bring to life and writing these lines. This is a, an incredible a translation, I guess. Um, it, we look to the text all the time to make these sort of initial decisions. We're looking at the shape of the text on the page, where the white spaces are. And white spaces are often scene changes, light changes, sound effects. You can, it's almost like it's musical on, you know, a musical score if you're reading it the way we read it. We look to punctuation, we look to, um, you know, repetition in language, all kinds of things that tell us there's something happening here and we can tease out what it is. And the basic idea of what we try to do is um, uh, try to imagine opening a book and letting it pop in 3D, you know, right out of the pages. And it, people start walking around and they start doing, you know, they're where they say they are and they're doing what they say they're doing. So it's, a, it's an experiment, it's something we play with. There were lines that change as late as previews and beyond. There are lines where we said to ourselves, well, darn that Siobhan Fallon. It's like she wrote it and didn't even think about us staging it, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a work that we all do together and, and the cast brings in their, uh, you know, their enormous um, creativity and ideas as well. Siobhan, as a writer, you create, craft these stories out of language, but you kind of, do you see them in this kind of fashion as a movie? And I'd like you to just talk about the experience of seeing your own words brought to life by these fabulously talented actors, directors, the stagecraft. Yeah, I, I feel like Amy cracked my head open somehow in a very nice way and <laughs> just managed to bring characters to life in a way I even better I think than how I saw them when I was writing the stories it, it's just amazing to me so um, I don't know I'm still a little speechless from just having watched the the show it's fantastic Chad I, I thought you did such a great job with Kit and one of the things I think that uh, worked really well for these for both these plays was uh, mixing the humor and the pathos mm -hmm. between the two uh, because it really made the, the story flow. So talk about, uh, as an actor, um, you're working with text, 
So you have this kind of dual role as a reader and an actor. That's a really must be very strange experience for you. It's a bit strange, but I think um, I think if you start with a great script and great writing, you really you really can't go wrong. And um, we have Siobhan, thankfully, to blame for that. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a bit different than a regular play. I've never done a word for word performance before. And I think um, I was tempted in the beginning to um, just really activate the dialogue, right? The, the dialogue portion and, um, you know, really kind of send an action to my scene partner on the dialogue. And then I was really tempted just to kind of go into narration mode. And I got my wrist slapped very often for, for doing that. And it's, it's a hard thing to break out of. You know, everything has to be alive. Everything has to have a point of view, your character's point of view and everything has to be active. So at first, um, yeah, it was a challenge, but after you, after you get over that hump, I think you can, you just let yourself dive in and really appreciate all the beautiful detail in the text and really just kind of flourish in it, languish in it. Arlen, uh, I thought you did such a wonderful job bringing Josie to life. I'd like you to talk about experiencing that character uh, as a reader and reading the story first and then uh, going through and bringing the text to life, bringing the dialogue and uh, creating the inner life inside you and reflecting that out through the text of the story, which is a really interesting format. It is. And Chad just spoke very well about that. (laughs) Nobody else does this really and so basically if you work with word for word this is this is a whole nother way of acting that you have to learn how to do i didn't actually spend all that much time reading the story over and over and over again because it made more sense to me to just jump in i actually was talking to amy about this earlier there's no other way to do it at least with Josie's story, you just jump on the train and it goes and you have to take the ride. And if I had gotten too, too much in my head, too thinky about what, uh, what all these words meant and what this was, I don't think it would translate as well. I just have to show up every night and take the ride. <laughs> Amy, I really loved the staging of this and the decisions you made um, in the as you put the, together this story. Uh, the biggest one is to put uh, Chad, her husband, to to put him on stage. And I think that is a, just a really powerful move, and it I have to say it somewhat changed my perception of the story. It was a really interesting decision. Well, I want to speak, if we're going to talk about staging, I want to speak about Joel Mullenix, who directed the first story with an incredible amount of genius, if you ask me. The first story is much, much more complicated than the second. It's twice its length. It has Iraq in it. It has hotels, hospitals, uh, uh, you know, the, the, and rapid, rapid scene changes and time changes. And I thought the staging work from Joel and from uh, Andrea, his choreographer, were, were, you know, so stupendous, so interesting. And what was deliberate was the shift to my story, where we removed 
some some of the complications. My story really takes place in Josie's living room, and it doesn't move very much. It's just a little bit. And the thing that enlivened it to me, and what you're referring to about Eddie, her husband, who's who um, I, I don't know. Sometimes you get an inspiration, but the language says that she removed the photographs from all the albums and put him on every wall so that wherever she looked, he was looking at her. And I thought, well, I'm casting Eddie. I'm going to put him on a plinth and let him be there with her. And what it gave us was immeasurably valuable. It allowed me to compare the two marriages in the second story and the first because he was there. And you could see, as we've talked about amongst ourselves, that the first marriage didn't have time to graft and the second one did. And you have to see what's lost by the death of Eddie. And if he's not there and you can't live that beautiful marriage in the small memory sections that Siobhan gave us, um, you know, you don't know what's lost. You can't, under, you know, so for all of us to experience his loss, in addition to her experience of the loss of Josie's experience, I think is just hugely valuable. I believe it's in the text. I don't think I you know, changed anything particularly. <laughs> I hope you don't think so, Siobhan. But um, I must say it felt like a thing that worked. And what really surprises me is you're the first person, Rick, to ask me about it in two years. Nobody has asked me, <laughs> why is Eddie on stage? People just accept it. They, they really do accept that, that it's possible. And I think she says, I mean, you say you're holding on to him compulsively and remembering him. And so I believe him being present is a product of her psychology, her grief, her stage of grief. And, um, and we had the absolutely stunning Ryan Tasker playing a most beautiful line between when he was memory, when he was photograph, mm -hmm. and when he was you know, alive, when he was dead. Just beautiful. The staging, I thought, was so intricate. It just seemed like a finely oiled machine. And it was the the costume changes the scene changes this is a really complicated show and one of the things i like is that for how complicated it must have been you guys make it all seem really easy so i'd like you to just talk about um the what must have been the contrast of when you're not on stage changing going around moving things around and then getting into character on stage and saying these words with such perfection and and again just memorizing the story that's a different very very different play from memorizing lines there's a whole nother play going on behind the scenes <laughs> it's i really imagine is. it's probably what a fashion show looks like yeah um, something rather we're chaotic. trying not to knock each other with elbows we don't have very much space back there i think uh especially in the first story which is longer and has more characters i think i have 14 different characters and they all have different costumes so it's it's a lot about changing clothes and then there's usually about a one one thousand before you have to step back onto stage and and have a different character with a totally different accent a completely different backstory um luckily, everyone loved your waitress <laughs> oh my god everyone she has a deep, deep yeah. long backstory she does <laughs> we we in word for word we call that hair acting 
the ensemble work is often who can do the fastest hair change. <laughs> but you should talk about all the, 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 the tough boxes and the moving of the tough boxes and the bull. Oh, I'm, well, I have the luxury of really only playing one character. <laughs> I mean, really, I play three characters, but um, I am mostly Kit for, for both the shows. And... I'm just constantly amazed at what's going on around me. You know, it's like <laughs> moving from scene to scene to scene. I look up and there's Armando playing, you know, a, a fellow soldier. And then I look up again and he's a doctor. And then I look up again and he's a DJ in a red, white, and blue cowboy hat yodeling. You know, it's um, so, you know, frankly, I've, I've got it easy. But rehearsing the first one... Um, yeah, it was it was pretty intricate. Um, a lot of kind of set changes. We're using five boxes to portray different sets and different scenarios. And yeah, we wanted everything to be perfect. So frankly, we drilled it and we drilled it and we drilled it and we drilled it and we drilled it. And when I say we, really, I mean them, because I frankly just stand there and with my mouth, you know, wide in amazement that my fellow cast members can can do this all. Um, it's really just, it's, it's chaotic and it's incredible. Siobhan, uh, your words are so beautifully crafted on the page and they create the story in our reading experience. And it must, it was really interesting to see that kind of reading experience translated in this, in this fascinating way. That's not, uh, like a, for example, a film adaptation. So I'd like you to talk about just seeing your words, and I'm wondering if, as a writer, when you were seeing your words, uh, hearing your words read, and seeing them spoken by the characters who were those words, and this uh, third-person narration going back and forth, that, uh, as a writer, do you think, well, wow, maybe I want to approach my something else in a slightly different manner? I mean, did you did this kind of uh, turn make you think about the way you write or may you want to write I, I i was nervous coming and to listen to other people speak these words and i mean a, a writer trick is you say these things aloud and you hope that if things don't work you're going to hear it but then to hear other people say it aloud i was so afraid i was going to just think oh my god i need to change that in the script but or in the you know the finished copy it didn't feel finished i was worried but i heard you guys and just your emphasis. I mean, there was such an art in what you do that's so different than what I do. And you made the words work in a way that even I hadn't imagined. And I, I, I think you're a genius, Amy, that you can take a sentence that's flat on a page and have three different people say different parts of that sentence. And the way I think Chad said how it's just become so active and it becomes dialogue and it becomes action and just it moves in a completely different way than it had in a book, you know, when you're sitting alone in a room reading it or even writing it. So that emphasis, I mean, you don't lose any of the words and even those words that might have been throwaway words like getting characters from one room into a car or into the Waffle House, mm -hmm. you make it so alive and powerful and it has a reason to be there. So I just, again, I'm overwhelmed and very impressed. Yeah. Arwen, uh, I really love the, the way that you played uh, Josie. And I'd like you to talk about um, when you were developing this character 
and uh, you just you say you took her for a ride every time. And I'm wondering if, as you've done this, has the has the character changed for you? And do you have the same internal experience every time you do this? I mean, are there times when you're like thinking about, well, maybe I got to balance my check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great question. To be truthful or not. Um, uh, it has changed. It definitely has. One of the things that I feel like Amy really helped me with, Josie was a lot angrier at first. I think I, it, was a, it was really easy to connect with how angry you would be about losing your husband and life is so hard now and um but nobody wants to watch or somebody be angry for 30 minutes it's not a it's not a, a story it's not a ride that way and um having to really get on that train i was talking about means really taking a breath and allowing yourself to open to all the vulnerabilities that grief lays us open to and anger is a part of that it's a sliver of the pie but there's so much more uh, so I feel like as we've now been doing this for ooh, three weeks now I think is where we are about there that it's absolutely deepened so that you end up getting so many more colors and textures so that now anger is just a spike here and there and the palette is so much deeper or at least I hope so <laughs> Amy, one of the things I think you did brilliantly, and, and this happened in both the plays, was to uh, bring out the humor in Siobhan's work. Uh, I really enjoyed the stories when I was reading them because they are shot through with the humor, and that kind of leavens you know, the deep sense of tragedy. But I think you did a, a, a brilliant job, all of you, in bringing out the humor, and but at the same time you would flash back over to the kind of uh, seriousness without seeming like you were turning things over. So I'd like you to talk about orchestrating that. And the way you did it was um, kept things moving nicely. It was like you a balancing that, juggling, I guess is the word. Yeah, I mean, once again, I really have to credit Joel because I think that is a, a huge piece of, of the first story in particular. Um, and and I, I actually think it's one of the magic things about standing up and saying lines. Sometimes he said or she said on the page, you don't even notice it. You don't put any particular anything to it. But if I look at you and say, she said, you know, with all kinds of drippy, you know, attitude, well, then it's funny. And I just think, you know, sometimes just putting these brilliant actors, putting the words in their mouths, you don't have to do a whole lot. Sometimes it's just funny to have somebody actually say some of the things that you have to say in this. Now, that's the, the good news and the bad news. I mean, it's word for word. So, you know, it all has to be said. <laughs> and so sometimes it's, it is sort of funny to say, you know, she said icily, you know, that kind of self-awareness that comes in with describing your own attitude, your own action, it adds a bit of humor to it no matter what you do. And then I think, you know, in our story, I have to tell you that tonight was actually the first night that there was laughter during Gold Star. Ordinarily, people see the funeral at the top of Gold Star and that's it, they're just watching and they're feeling what they're feeling, but tonight you guys were on a ride of your own, and it was really, really cool and really interesting. And I could see the actors going, 
Ooh. <laughs> so yeah, but I think it was something sparky, something interesting hit, uh, you know, so I'm, I have to say, I can't take a whole lot of credit for the, for the silly. I think Joel had the, the cornered the market on silly in, in the first story, maybe more than I did. And if I, don't, if I could just jump in on that, um, we are also allowed, one of the great things about working with Word for Word is that we are allowed to say, hey, can I try that? We are allowed to bring in a lot ourselves, and that's not always the case. No. So there's actually a bunch of stuff that's been taken out mm. because it was making the first story almost not too funny, but too, too hard to navigate between the seriousness of what's happening and then flipping back because we were jumping out into a hundred other different characters. Basically, we could say, oh, and how about that high school person? Could I try to do that? Could I jump out there? Um, and we actually had to cut them down. <laughs> Chad, one of the things I think that you do really well, when you're playing Kit, you have a, a variety of moods for Kit, so I'd like you to talk about moving Kit through all those different moods. I think that this story is a story about two people who, the first story is about um, two people who are very young and experience, they both experience a trauma of some sort. Um, I. I won't give it away because you should come see the show. But I think as a soldier um, being wounded and coming back, that walking into that uncertainty, you know, uh, Word for Word has partnered with the Wounded Warrior Project on this show. So we had the opportunity to talk to an amazing guy um, who's part of the Wounded Warrior Project. And his experience was almost similar to Kit's in that he... Um, he had one of his arms severed in an attack and uh, was in a coma and got moved from medical facility to medical facility and woke up two months later and had to come back and assimilate himself back into society. And one thing that just really touched me is he, he said just the anger, that he was just so confused and angry at everyone when he woke up. And I think trying to take that anger and, you know, mix it with just uncertainty. Um, Kit is married in the story and at the beginning he's coming back and his wife hasn't really been available to communicate for a couple weeks and that's really worrying him. Um, so yeah, the, the story is kind of a, I mean, like Arwen said, it, it's a ride and it definitely has many peaks and valleys, many opportunities for Kit to feel hope and then opportunities for that hope to just be completely shattered or actually even worse, incrementally downplayed more and more and more and more and more and just grinding on him until he has to come to some, you know, inevitable decision that maybe his wife does not love him anymore. Yeah, just twists and turns from there. And I think just trying to find the truth of it, just trying to really find the truth of it. In the background of this, of these stories, is something that's really serious and traumatic for all of us as a nation. And I'd like you to all talk about funneling that, this huge tragedy that's kind of uh, fallen down upon us and without none, any of us asking, into these works. Uh, Siobhan, first, since you're the one who, who wrote the stories, uh, talk about 
you know, your background and, and your experience and how that kind of funneled down into the stories. Sure. Uh, I am an Army spouse, and uh, my husband is active duty Army, and he deployed twice to Iraq and once to Afghanistan. And um, one of the things that I would notice when he'd come back from his deployments is, and get together with his soldier friends is they would tell their stories from, I don't know, specific moments from different deployments. And it was usually something the soldiers would tell each other, and I was always wanting to hear because they were so honest with each other in a way I don't think they were able to be with their spouses. So um, a lot of eavesdropping sort of inspired a lot of the stories, and especially uh, Kit Murphy's character. I unfortunately saw soldiers who came back wounded, and my husband had um, young soldiers in his unit who sort of had a lot of uncertainty with where their different wounds were leading them and if they were going to lose a limb or if they were going to stay in the army and how, what sort of future they were going to have. So I, I really feel for this particular character. I think he's my favorite character in the book. And, um, and just that dilemma that soldiers are facing. And now I live in uh, near Washington, D.C., and I've I just had a baby, and uh, I was at Walter Reed is where I delivered, and uh, it's also where, of course, they treat so many of the wounded soldiers who are coming back. Um, and still in Afghanistan, I mean, they're still coming back every day. And I, But I see them. I'd go twice a week for different appointments, and you just see these young boys and young women in wheelchairs or learning to walk with their prosthetic limbs. And it's something we're just not really seeing in America. I mean, I think we will in a few years, but right now this concentration is right there on this sort of campus, and you walk around, and it's this campus of of young people who are so perfectly fit, and then you realize that they're missing a leg. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. So I, all of that sort of has trickled into the story for me. Chad, talk about... Uh funneling this kind of tragedy into your character. I mean, because we all, you know, you watch McNeil Lair or something, and they have a moment of silence while the names track across the screen. I think before I started this show, all of that seemed very distant from me. I'd never really played a soldier before, nor have I known anyone that served. So being able to talk to people involved in the Wounded Warrior Project and talk to vets and talk to people who are working with vets and especially having them telling us that we're doing a good job and that we're portraying these guys and these girls with truth and with dignity. That's great to hear, you know, because beyond everything, we're all, we're all just human, right? And we all, we all feel anguish and we all feel fear and we all feel confusion and unsettling things. And yeah, I, I think taking those um, extraordinary circumstances like having um, living through an IED or being wounded and just applying <laughs> emotions that are just very human to those situations. Yeah, just again, trying to find the truth of that. That's the constant struggle of what we do. Arwen? You play the other side, the receiving end of the of the equation. So talk about, you know, in a sense, 
you're playing yourself because you're at you know at home you're a witness to this and when you're playing Josie she also to a degree is a witness to this but she's a more intimate witness than you are yes I think I would just have to echo what Chad says because that's that's what we really go for in in any of this kind of work is where do you connect with the truth the authenticity of it and hopefully that's what then translates so that people can come along with that journey with you because if if you're actually doing it then then what's so beautiful i think about what theater can do is that it can reach we can reach across to each other that on on stage if we're in it enough the the audience can palpably feel that and reach a little closer to us as we're actually trying to gift this out to them. And, and Amy, you know, what's interesting is that as a director, what you're doing is taking these written works, bringing them to the stage and putting humans there so we can all sit in the theater as humans and see one another and connect and be there. And there's the heat and the smell and just the being around people. So I'd like you to talk about that aspect of bringing literature to life and bringing this tragedy to life in this unique fashion. Well, I was absolutely compelled to push for these stories uh, right from the get-go, uh, it's been told before, but Siobhan was being interviewed um, on the radio, and I heard the radio interview, and so did Joanne Winter, our, our artistic director, and we were both heading to the same rehearsal, and within a half an hour of seeing each other and talking about that interview, I had it in my hands, so God bless Kindle. And, um, you know, and within a day of that, I had tracked you down and was calling Joanne and saying, can I have these? And I happened to also be married to a soldier, uh, to an ex-soldier, different war, different country, but same experience. And, um, you know, uh, I just thought that this was an opportunity to um, talk about not only, as you call it, a tragedy, but actually the life it, I don't think that necessarily you, that's tragedy, maybe not a word you would use, Siobhan, not necessarily. I mean, it is, it is uh, the individual losses, yes, of course, but the effort and the life and the, the service are things that I, I think are not on the negative side of the equation. And for me to have the opportunity where I live and having been completely safe and you know, my entire life. Um, you know, what is it like to be a person who gives his life in service and then is booted out, literally, with a boot on your foot, you know, a cast on your foot? Um, not a serviceman, not a husband, not a whole man. What is it like to be not a wife? What is it like to be, you know, what are the, and something that Wounded Warrior Project talks about is the new normal. And that is something we can all relate to, every one of us. Um, we all start out with a picture of the perfect thing, and then life hands you whatever measure of grief it's going to hand you. And you have to find your way to a new normal. And that's something we all talked a lot about. Uh, it, and then I think that idea translates beautifully from the individual experience of reading a story to the communal experience of 
listening to the story together. And I think this is what you've asked me about translating it to the group experience. I think it's intimate and hugely moving to see, you know, 200 people completely stop wiggling and totally <laughs> with you. It is an equation that you only get in live theater, and it's a quite a stunning and beautiful thing to watch the bridge happen from the page to the stage and from the stage out. It's, it's a privilege, and I'm very grateful for having been given the opportunity to work on these stories. Siobhan Fallon, Chad Deverman, Amy Kossow, Arwen Anderson, thank you for joining me. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.